Well, I'm glad that his shoulders are big enough to carry all of our burdens. Amen. His back is able to bear it all. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much. How many of you brought your Bible this morning all over the building? Would you lift up the Word of God and then take your Bible and join me this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 9. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9 this morning. And I would like to read just one verse here in just a few minutes. And I'm going to go back and just kind of tell a story from the life of this man that we're considering this morning, Matthew chapter 9. I have an old Schofield Bible. If you do, that's page number 1007 in the old Schofield Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, if you'll look up on the screens here in just a moment, they'll put the verse up for us, and you can follow me as I read that in a moment. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming, and we're looking forward to a good time together in God's house again tonight at 530, 505 for prayer room, as Brother Zach mentioned a moment ago. Please be here for that and then the service at 5.30. So we get to do this again, what, in about seven hours. We'll get to do this all over again. You'll get to go home, get you a good nap from that hour you missed last night, and to come on back over here to church. I like just come in here and sleep. I mean, I can put them to sleep with the best of them. And uh, so come in here. At least something might seep in while you're sleeping there or something. But uh, we're looking forward to having a good time together again in our service tonight. All right, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse number 9. If you're there, would you say amen this morning? All right, Matthew, chapter 9. I want you to look this way, if you will, and just imagine this scene, if you will, in your mind. Imagine that you're sitting in your house one day and a knock comes upon your door. Well, what do you do? Well, if you're like me, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go look out through the blinds to see if I can see who possibly might be standing there. And you're surprised when you look out your blinds, having heard the knock on the door, to see one of these long, black, stretch limousines about a half mile long sitting in your driveway. Now, the first thought that you have is this. Somebody's lost or somebody needs some directions because there ain't never been one of them sitting in my driveway before. So finally you go to the door, and the person at the door is dressed in such a manner that you know someone or something of great importance is going on. So you open the door, you greet the person, and this person standing at your door informs you that a king is coming into your area. And in fact, this king is not only coming into your area, this king is going to be staying with you for a while. Now, you already begin to think to yourself, you know, I'm glad that a king would want to stay with me, but, I mean, I don't know this king. I mean, what am I going to say to him? What will we talk about? We have absolutely nothing in common. In fact, we're from two different worlds. He from the world of royalty. Me from the world of just common, average, everyday people. We're from two opposite ends of the spectrum. He very rich. Me, just make enough to get by. And you're standing there, and as you, you hear those words, the king is coming to stay with you for a while, you're filled with great apprehension. Again, what in the world will we talk about? Well, the man standing at the door, sensing your apprehension, hands you a book. And he says, here, read this book. This book will not only tell you, will not tell you everything about this king, because there's no book in the world big enough to tell you everything about the king, his whole story. But this book will help you to get to know the king a little bit better. This book will tell you the basics of the king's life. 
and he hands you this book, and then he walks away. Now, I told you that little imaginary story to kind of get your mind in gear where we're going because I'm beginning a series of sermons from the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Matthew said, hey, I want to write a book. Read this book. It'll tell you not everything that the king has done, but it'll tell you the basics of the king's life so you can get to know him just a little bit better. Now, I had you open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 9, and you'd probably think, you know, it seems like we ought to be starting back in chapter 1, preacher, with the story about the king. But what I want to do this morning is this. I want to start with the story of the man who wrote the book about the king. Because as we get to know this man by the name of Matthew, we get to know him a little bit better and uh, understand him a little more. It'll help us to understand his book that he wrote about the king. So let me stop now. Look with me in Matthew chapter 9, and I want you to look at verse number 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9. This introduces us to the man who wrote the book about the king. Look at verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew. Now we're in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the writer of the gospel of Matthew. So he sees a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he, Matthew, arose and followed him, followed Jesus. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, in Matthew's house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus said, You want to know why I eat with people like this? Because people who, need, who, who understand they're sick need a doctor. And I am the great doctor. This man by the name of Matthew. Let's talk about the man who wrote the book about the king. I want to do so this morning, and I want to tell the story of Matthew, but I'd like to do so under three separate headings. And if you'll allow me just to use my imagination just a little bit this morning, I want to talk a little bit about Matthew's life and see if we can't find, fill in some of the details about his life. First of all, look at Matthew chapter 9 now, verse number 9, and let me talk a little bit about the foundation, the foundation of Matthew. The foundation of Matthew. Now, one of the things that we know about this man by the name of Matthew is this. We know that he had a godly foundation put under him. Boy, thank God for people who have a godly foundation put under them. I thank the Lord that I've got a goodly heritage in my life. I'm glad that I had a mom and a daddy who took me to the house of God who wouldn't let me just do anything that I wanted to do, wouldn't let me just dress any old way, run with any old crowd, but carried me to the house of God. And I am today in a measure, number one, because of the grace of God, but also because of a godly foundation that I had put under me. A goodly heritage. And let me just say this about Matthew. Matthew had one of those godly foundations put under him. Now I say that on the basis of a couple of things that we're told about this boy by the name of Matthew. First of all, we're told a little bit about his daddy. 
his daddy. Now, his daddy's name was Alphaeus. Now, you can't find this in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, but over in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, we read this. And as he passed by, Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, another name for Matthew, the son of Alphaeus. Now, we know that Matthew's got a daddy, and his name is Alphaeus. And let me, tell you, let me tell you something about Alphaeus. He not only has one boy by the name of Matthew, he actually has two boys because another disciple of Jesus is also said to be the son of Alphaeus. Can't you just imagine the pride of this daddy by the name of Alphaeus seeing his two boys follow Jesus and become a disciple of the Lord? I'll tell you, nothing would please me any more than to see my children following the Lord. Nothing's going to please me any more to watch my grandkids grow up and get saved and follow the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said that Alphaeus has got two boys. His other son is named Thomas. Remember Thomas? Old Doubting Thomas. Remember, Thomas was not there uh, on the Sunday night service after the Lord resurrected from the grave. That's why you always ought to be in church on Sunday night. You never know when Jesus might show up. Can I have an amen? In fact, can I tell you this? We have some of our better services around here on Sunday night. You don't, hey, don't go to Walmart and miss Jesus on Sunday night. Hey, don't stay at home and watch Columbo uh, on MeTV on Sunday night and miss Jesus at the house of God. And remember, Jesus showed up and, Matthew, uh, and Thomas, he was not there. And, and he comes back and they say, Oh, Thomas, you've missed it. We've seen the Lord. And remember what Thomas said? Oh, he said, he's a doubter. Except I should thrust my hand into his side, except I put my finger into the print of his nails, I will not believe. And we call him on the basis of that, we call him Doubting Thomas. Well, Thomas's daddy was Alphaeus. And by the way, the name Thomas, uh, Thomas means this, the twin. So now I'm kind of starting to understand that Alphaeus has got two boys, one named Thomas, who happens to be a twin, and what if his twin brother is Matthew? So now the picture is becoming just a little bit clearer to us. Alphaeus has twin boys, one named Thomas and the other one named Matthew. Now, Alphaeus, the name Alphaeus, by the way, remember in Bible days, names meant something. I mean, you just didn't slap a name on somebody. I mean, you watched their life. Babies weren't named until many times, many times, uh, uh, times, uh, many years after they were born. They were not given a name because that name given to that baby meant something. And the name Alpheus means this. It means ruler or it means leader. Now, we gather from that that Alpheus, the daddy of Matthew, is evidently a leader in his community. He is a ruler in, a tri in the tribe that he was from. Evidently, old Alphaeus is well respected by those of his peers. He's well respected as a leader in his community, and he has a boy by the name of Matthew. Now, all right, let's take it a step further. So we know his daddy. We know Matthew's probably a twin. But we also know that this family was from the tribe of Levi. Now, boy, that really clues us in, takes us a step further into finding out a little bit about Matthew's background. We find out that he's from the tribe of Levi. In fact, in two other Gospels, this same situation that we're reading about in Matthew 9 is mentioned in two other Gospels. And in both the other Gospels, he's not called Matthew, he's called Levi. 
In Luke chapter 5, in the same story, we read this. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi. So Matthew is either known by Matthew or he goes by the name Levi. That clues us in on the fact that Matthew is from the tribe of Levi. Now that takes us back into the Old Testament. And we remember that Jacob, the founding father of the nation of Israel, had 12 boys. Those 12 boys, they, the first was Reuben, the second was Simeon, and the third one was Levi. Those 12 boys make up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So that one nation consists of Israel consists of the 12 boys who make up the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And one of those tribes was Levi. Now we begin to learn a little bit more because you've got to understand the tribe of Levi out of all the tribes of Israel. We call the nation of Israel, we call them God's chosen people. But God reached down amongst his chosen people and chose one tribe to be his tribe exclusively. You say, which tribe was that? Guess what? It was the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi in particular, if you were born from that tribe, you were considered to be in a very privileged position because the tribe of Levi was the tribe that handled holy things. All the priests in the land of Israel was from the tribe of Levi. Let me tell you this. In the Old Testament days, when Israel worshipped God around the tabernacle, and it came time before they built a more permanent temple, uh, the, the, the glory of God would rest on that tabernacle, and when the Shekinah glory of God would lift off that mercy seat, the tribe of Israel, the tribe of Levi would fly in and they would have the job, the responsibility of dismantling that Old Testament tabernacle picking it up and carrying it with them until the cloud decided to set down again. I mean, buddy, they were always around holy things. I mean, man, they took care of the house of God. Maybe I could say it like this. The tribe of Levi, they did the church work in the Old Testament. They were constantly around holy things. They were always around the things of God. Now, with all that said, now let's get this straight. Alphaeus is a leader. Matthew's from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was a holy tribe. It was God's particular tribe to handle holy things. You can just imagine the upbringing that old Matthew must have had. Can you just not imagine this old boy? He's constantly running around the house of God. He's constantly around the Word of God. He's constantly around the things of God. He's constantly around the work of God. I mean, buddy, this old boy was brought up right. I'm telling you, he had a godly foundation put under him. In fact, can I tell you this? The name Matthew means joined. Join. Maybe that kind of goes along with Thomas, the twin. Matthew joined. But I, I imagine it like this. Matthew was joined to the church. I mean, that old boy was brought up right there in the house of God, around the things of God. Can I say this to every young person in this room this morning? But if you've been brought up around the things of God, in the house of God, you indeed are in a privileged position. I thank God for the upbringing, the rearing that I had around the house of God. My mom and daddy wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They had their ups and their downs. But I know one thing. I was brought up in the house of God. I was brought up to love the Bible. I was brought up to love the Lord. And, and, and in a measure, what I am today, I owe because I had a godly foundation put under me. The foundation 
of Matthew. You know, the thing that bothers me in our day, we got a lot of kids who think that they're missing out on the best that life has got to offer because they got a mom and a daddy that won't let them do this or that and wants them to come to church all the time. Can I tell you something? You better thank God for a mom and a daddy like that this morning. Amen. The foundation of Matthew. But now come with me to Matthew chapter 9. Now we dig a little deeper into his life. We understand he was brought up right. But now in Matthew chapter number 9, I want us to consider not only the foundation of Matthew, but let's talk about the occupation of Matthew. Look again now at verse 9, and the Bible said that Matthew was sitting at the receipt of the custom. Now believe this or not, where that old boy is sitting at tells us that something has run amok in his life. Something has gone terribly wrong in the life of Matthew, because to be sitting at the receipt of the customs means that Matthew has become a tax collector. And to become a tax collector, he has to be employed by the empire of Rome. Now let me tell you something. As our New Testament opens up, the nation of Israel is in bondage once again. But this time they're not in bondage to the Babylonians, and they're not in bondage to the Assyrians. They're in bondage to an empire by the name of Rome. They're in bondage to the Romans. And let me tell you something about the nation of Israel. They detested, they detested being in bondage, being in servitude to the empire of Rome. They despised wearing the yoke of Rome. They despised the dominion of Rome and as being servants to Rome, they were forced to pay taxes to Rome. And to pay those taxes to Rome, but it was one thing, but to have to pay your taxes to Rome by one of your own countrymen, well, I'll tell you something, that elevated the hate that they had for Rome uh, to, uh, to hate on steroids, understanding that one of their very own was employed by the empire of Rome. Can I tell you what that meant? That meant that old Matthews betrayed his country. He was the Benedict Arnold to his very own country. You know, Benjamin Franklin said this, ain't but two things sure in life, death and taxes. But the thing about it is, you know, death don't get worse every time Congress convenes, does it? But taxes sure do. And here is, old, here is uh, these Jews who have to pay taxes to Rome through the hands of one of their very own family. Now, i got to tell you something, buddy. To work for Rome simply meant that old Matthews betrayed his country, but we know a little bit about these tax collectors, don't we? We know that these tax collectors were not only, not only betrayed their country, but they were cutthroats to their own people. For instance, Rome would say, your taxes for the year are $50, but these tax collectors would say, hey, your taxes for the year are $75. They would take $50 for Rome they would keep the other 25 for themselves. These tax collectors, like Matthew, were very wealthy people. You know how they got wealthy? By, by stealing money from other people. That maybe explains a little bit why the people of the land of Israel hated them so much. In fact, can I tell you this? If you were a tax collector in the nation of Israel, you had been put out of the synagogue. You couldn't even go to church if you were a tax collector. Now, here's an old boy that's been brought up around church his whole life, and now because of the occupation that he has chosen, he can't even go to church anymore. They have banished him from the synagogues. I mean, they want nothing to do with him because he is a betrayer and he is a cutthroat. In fact, can I tell you this about tax collectors? They're identified with the harlots and the publicans. 
Not Republicans. Publicans. They're identified with a very wicked and despicable crowd. You know why? Because they were wicked and despicable people. Can you just imagine how the occupation of Matthew broke the heart of Mr. and Mrs. Alpheus? Can you just imagine the tears that Mr. and Mrs. Alpheus cried because of the occupation that their boy had chosen in life? Can you not imagine the heartbreak that they experienced when they'd walk by that receipt of the customs and there sat their son who had such a godly upbringing and a godly foundation put under him and yet he had thrown all that away, thrown it all aside to pursue a lifestyle that would make him rich. Can I tell you what Matthew really was? Watch this. He was a church kid gone bad. Why is it that so many church kids who have a godly foundation put under them, eventually turn out to be just like Matthew. They seek more the prosperity and the pleasures of the world more than they care about the foundation that's been put under them. That's Matthew's life. I mean, buddy, brought up right, threw it all away to pursue prosperity in the world. His story is another one of those stories of a church kid that has gone bad. You know, I wonder who I'm sitting here talking to today, and you had a mom and a daddy. Maybe they're already gone to heaven now, but that mom and daddy tried to bring you up right. But when you hit those teenage years and those younger years of your life, those 20s, you threw all that away, set it all aside, because you wanted to have the pleasures and the prosperity of this world. And there sat a dear mom and daddy with tears running down their face, with a broken heart, because you, you threw aside everything they taught you to hold dear and precious in your life, and you set it aside just to seek after things that just don't matter. Amen, preacher. I wonder how many Matthews are sitting right here in this room today and that Matthew story is your story. You threw all that away because you wanted to do what you wanted to do and broke your mama and daddy's heart and totally rebelled against the godly upbringing that you had. Oh, I'm talking about Matthew's foundation. I'm talking about his occupation. Oh, brother, what a despised, despicable, wicked man. Matthew turned his back on his own nation. That'd be like me going out here today and you reading in the Winston-Salem Journal in the morning that I've decided to join the Taliban. I'm going to start fighting for the, for the radical Muslims in the world. You say, man, preacher turned his back on his nation and turned his back on his Bible and on his Savior to do something like that. My, what a wicked man he was. Well, I'll tell you something, that's Matthew's story. That's right, that's his story. But I'm glad his story doesn't end there. Because I not only want to talk about his foundation, I not only want to talk about his occupation, but I want to talk about his salvation. Now look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9, and here's what the Bible said. And as Jesus passed forth. Boy, aren't you glad one day Jesus passed by in your life? Aren't you glad that he came to where you were one day? Brother Darrell said it a moment ago, none of us should be saved. And all of us in here, the best of us, ain't even worth the gunpowder to take to blow us up. No, sir. But aren't you glad Jesus passed by one day? The Bible said there set Matthew on just one of those ordinary days in his life. I mean, the, the sneers and the snubs of his fellow countrymen. 
I mean, man, he, he sees those looks that he gets from his, from his neighbors and from those uh, in, in his own nation. I mean, there he sits, can't even go to church anymore. I mean, he, he was brought up around the things of God. He was taught to handle holy things and respect the things of God, but he can't even go to church anymore. And there he sits at the receipt of the customs. And I mean, man, God's been working on his heart. He misses those days when he used to be able to go to church. And he, and he misses those days when he was around holy things. And he, and he, and he understands the hurt and the grief that he's brought to his mom and his dad. And all those things were tugging on his heart. All those things were weighing heavy on Matthew's mind. And he found something out that many people take many years to find out. But that's this. He found out that money isn't everything. And there he sits at the receipt of the customs on one of those ordinary days. But little did he know this would be the day that would change the rest of the days of his life. Jesus passed by. Boy, I'm glad I can tell you this morning Jesus is still passing by. Hey, can I tell you something this morning Jesus is passing by, 1175, Bethania Rural Hall Road, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He's passing by this way this morning. And no matter what you've done, no matter how despicable your life has become, no matter how you may have turned your back on what you've been taught to hold dear, I'm glad I can tell you there is a Savior this morning who's passing by your way. The Bible said in verse 9, Jesus passed forth from thence. And the Bible said in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says to Matthew, this old wicked man, this betrayer, this cutthroat, this robber, Jesus said, Matthew, come on, boy, follow me. Boy, aren't you glad for the day Jesus passed by your way and said, hey, Ted, come on, follow me. Hey, Judy, Judy, come on. Follow me. And the Bible said in verse number 9 that old Matthew just rose up and followed Jesus. You say, what is that? That's the salvation experience of old Matthew. He got gloriously saved. You know, when Jesus, if you look at verse 9, I'm wrapping this thing up. If you look at verse 9, when Jesus said, follow me, and when Matthew arose and followed Jesus, that tells us Matthew opened up three things to Jesus, believe it or not. Jesus said, Matthew, come on. Matthew got up and started following Jesus, left all that money, all that, all that, uh, all that tax business, left it all and began to follow Jesus. And when that happened, he opened up three things to the Lord. First of all, can I say number one, he opened up his heart to the Lord Jesus. He opened up his heart. There he sits counting his money. There he sits thinking about what he's going to do with all that. There he sits with the heavy burden of, of, a, of his just choices in life weighing down upon him. And then he hears these words from the Master. Follow me. Now everybody else looked at Matthew as a publican. Jesus looked at him as a person. Everybody else saw Matthew as a mess. Jesus saw him as a man. Everybody else saw Matthew as a sinner. Jesus saw him as a soul. And Jesus' word to Matthew was, Matthew, come on, follow me. No fanfare, no hoopla, no parade. Matthew got up and followed Jesus. Can I say this before moving on? That's the kind of experience I had with the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you something? A lot of people are waiting for some kind of dramatic moment in their life. 
before they'll come forward and start following Jesus. I've had people to tell me before, you know, preacher, I want to be saved, but I just feel like I've got to wait for a certain kind of a feeling before I get saved. Preacher, before I get saved, I really feel like I'll see the lights flashing. I've even had somebody tell me this before. So, uh, one time somebody told me this, said, uh, before I get saved, I kind of will feel like, you know, there'll just be some bats just flying out of my body before I get saved. Can I tell you something? If you're waiting on that kind of experience, you'll die and you'll go to hell. You know why? You won't have that kind of experience. No, sir. Can I tell you, when I got saved as a 16-year-old teenager, I didn't see the lights flashing on and off. I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't hear any of that. I didn't have goosebumps up and down my back. None of that. But I'll tell you what, in my heart, I heard Jesus passing by saying, Tim, come on, follow me. And you know what I did that night? By the help and the grace of God, I rose up in my heart. And I made up my mind, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you're waiting for some kind of emotional experience, if you're waiting for tears to flow, or you're waiting for goosebumps, or you're waiting for some kind of uh, supernatural phenomenon, can I tell you, you'll die and wake up in hell because the greatest experience in the Bible is the experience where Jesus passes by and says, Come on, follow me, and that's all there is to it. You know, that's Jesus' invitation to you today. Hey, come on, follow me. In just a moment, I'm going to give an invitation in just a moment. But can I tell you something? Jesus is passing by your way this morning. And he's saying to you, come on, follow me. That's how simple this thing is. Hey, it's not some a great, a great emotional outburst. You may cry when you get saved. Hey, you may feel lighter when you get saved. You may feel like you may just drift out of here when you get saved. But I'm here to tell you, if you're waiting on that, you're waiting on something that may never happen to you. Jesus simply says, come on, follow me. And when that happened, Matthew opened up his heart to Jesus. You and I don't even know what was going on in Matthew's life prior to that. I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. But I promise you this, if you're not saved, God's been working behind the scenes, arranging things in your life to bring you to this moment in your life today so Jesus could pass by and say, Hey, 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 Sam, hey, would you follow me? Hey, Bill, Bill, come on, follow me. Hey, 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 George, hey, come on, follow me. Hey, Susie. Susie, come on, Martha, come on, follow me. That's how simple this thing is. And with those words, and Matthew rising up, we understand he opened his heart to Jesus. You do understand that salvation is a matter of the heart, not of the head, don't you? You understand that, don't you? Salvation is not facts in your head, it's faith down in your heart. And buddy, it's a heart issue, it's a heart matter. You don't go to heaven head first, you go to heaven heart first, friend. Jesus wants to enter your heart heart today. He opened his heart. But then did you see a second thing in this text? Not only did he open his heart to Jesus, but can I say number two, he opened his home to Jesus. Did you notice there in verse number 10, it came to pass, look at this, it came to pass. Now Matthew's following Jesus now. He's left all that behind, that, that wicked way of living. He's turned his back on all that. Can I say this? You ought to leave that kind of living if you're saved. We sang that song just a minute ago, and I, I can't remember. I'm going to try to remember exact words, but it said, For all he's done, I'm going to lift my hands to praise him. For all he's done, I'm going to live my life to please him. Can I tell you something? It's easy to sit in church and lift your hands and praise him. 
But can I tell you where the rubber meets the road? When you walk outside the four walls of this church and you live your life to please Him. And you turn your back on that which is wicked and ungodly. You turn your back upon that which is anti-biblical. And you, and you purpose in your heart, I'm going to follow Jesus. Old Matthew, verse 9, got saved, opened his heart. Verse 10, opened his home. You know what old Matthew seemingly is saying here in verse 10? Look at this. came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Now, you say, well, it says the house. It doesn't say Matthew's house. Well, look what, look what is it, Mark? Look what Mark said about this. Mark 2, verse 15. It came to pass that it, Jesus sat at meat in his house, Matthew's house, Levi's house. So what happened was this. Matthew met the king. And then Matthew got to thinking about all of his buddies that didn't know the king. He got to thinking about all of his friends. And by the way, about the only friends he had was other tax collectors and, and harlots because, I mean, that's the only kind of people he could have anything to do with because nobody else in the nation wanted anything to do with him. So Matthew, when he met the king and opened his heart to the king, he got to thinking about that and he said, you know something, I want my friends to meet the king. So he opened up his home, had a big old meal, maybe a barbecue, cooked out cooked out cheeseburgers in the backyard, invited all of his friends over there, and he invited Jesus to come into his house. And the Bible says that many people got saved that day because Matthew not only opened his heart, he opened his home to Jesus. Look at that verse again. Watch this. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in Matthew's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they believed him. What happened? Matthew opened his heart. First thing that happened, Matthew got a burden for his friends. You know a good sign you're saved is you get a burden for friend, your friends. You get a burden for others to know the king. You get a desire to see others to come and meet the king. And the Bible said all Matthew did, plan a big old supper, invite all of his buddies over there, all the tax collectors and all the publicans and all the sinners, and they were all there. And then he invited the king to come. And the king sat there. They all had a meal. And Matthew said, really, guys, I got you over here really for a twofold purpose. First of all, to feed you. And by the way, he is very wealthy because he's got a house and he can feed a crowd that big. He's stolen a lot of money. But uh, he said, I really got you over here for two purposes. First of all, to feed you and just let you know I love you. But I want you all to meet somebody that has changed my life. <laughs> I was sitting over at the table the other day and, and the king walked by and invited me to follow him. And can I tell you something, boys? It ain't been the same ever since that day. And what he's done for me, he'll do for y'all. Well, everybody... Meet the king. His name is Jesus. And the Bible said before the meal was over that day, many believed on Jesus because Matthew not only opened his heart, but he opened his home. He got a burden for, to see others, others saved. In fact, can I tell you this? How many of y'all remember there was another kind of famous tax collector in the Bible that got saved? His name was Zacchaeus. Remember that story? You know, most people think the reason Zacchaeus got saved is because of the conversion of old Matthew. Yeah, a lot of people think old Zacchaeus climbed up the tree and wanted to see who Jesus was because he heard what Jesus had done in Matthew's life. And it didn't long before old Zacchaeus skimmies down the tree and he's getting right with God his own self. 
Amen. Because Matthew not only opened his heart, he opened his home. And I'm done. Number three, he opened his hand. You say, How, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, here's what I mean by that. Matthew thought, you know something? Others need to know about the king. And I've invited all my friends in, and man, a lot of my friends have gotten saved, but boy, there's so many others that need to know about a king. You know what I think I'll do? I think I'll write a book about him. And so he grabbed, he grabbed his quill and just started making notes about the king. Boy, he, the king would say something, and Matthew would go home, and his, and his memory triggered by the Holy Ghost, and he'd write that down. He said, I'm going to write a book about the king one of these days because that's the best way I can let others know about the king. And, uh, and Jesus would say, and then Jesus would do something. He'd perform some miracle, feeding 5,000. Matthew would get home and write. He's a tax collector, man. He's, he's, really, he's really good with figures and stuff. And uh, so he, 5,000, not counting men and women, he wrote all that stuff down until one day the Holy Spirit inspired him to write a gospel that we call the Gospel of Matthew so that he could tell us about the king. Can I tell you something? This is unusual about the book of Matthew, but you know, not one time in the entire book of Matthew does he record one word that he ever said. I mean, you can go over to the Gospel of Luke, you can find out some things Luke said in his Gospel. You can go to Mark and find out some things Mark said. You can go to John find out some things that John said. But in, in Matthew's Gospel, he didn't write not one word that he ever said in his whole Gospel. But i tell you what he did write. He sure did write a lot of the words that Jesus said. Did you know more so than any other of the four Gospels, Matthew records more of the words of Jesus in his Gospel than any other of the three Gospels? There are 1,068 verses in the Gospel of Matthew, and out of those 1,068 verses, 644 of those verses contains the very words of Jesus. Three-fifths of the Gospel of Matthew is made up of the words of Jesus. You know what Matthew's saying? It don't matter what I say. It don't matter what I am. It don't matter who I am. What matters most is who he is. He is the king. I'm going to tell you something, friend. We're going to enjoy the gospel of Matthew. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because that same king that met Matthew that day in a wicked, despicable, ungodly life, that same king that met him and changed his life is the same king that can meet you and change your life today. Do you know Jesus is your Savior today? I'm not asking you, do you have a head knowledge? I'm asking, has there been a time in your life when you opened, like Matthew, your heart? Well, if you've never done that, I just want to tell you today, you may not see him with the physical eye, but I just want to tell you, the Savior is walking by today. He's still passing by, and he's saying to you, whatever your name may be, your name may be Jim. Jesus is saying, Jim, follow me. Hey, it won't be some great supernatural kind of experience, but I tell you what, it'll be an eternal experience. Boy, I'm so glad that I got up one day and followed Jesus. And you'll never regret the day that you make up your mind to follow Jesus. Have you ever done that? If you've not, I'd like to invite you to give your heart to Jesus this morning. Open your hand. It'll open your heart. It'll be amazing what he'll do in your life. He's the king. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.